What's going on, everybody? I am Jeff St. Pierre, and this is episode 95 of the Adult Education Podcast. This week, I'm speaking with, and I love this title that I saw on her website, so I'm going to steal it for this, Ideapreneur Jenny Blake. Thanks for hanging out today. I do appreciate you taking some time out of your day to listen to the show. Adult education is a fun project for me that I do out of the love of conversation and just trying to learn as much as I can. If you want to support me or the show, the best way to do that is to leave a five-star rating on whatever platform you're listening on. Also, if you like what you hear in today's episode, please share it with your friends, whether that's by telling them to listen or sharing via social media. Let the word spread about adult education. Let me start by saying sorry, this is a day late. I recorded the intro, and when I sat down to kind of edit all the pieces together, I realized there was a weird popping noise in the audio. I didn't want to put that out in the world, so I had to hold off for a day to re-record when I was back in the studio. So thank you for checking this out, and again, sorry for the delay. All right, so a little backstory here about today's guest. I first met Jenny Blake back in, I think it was 2011. I was trying to find our first interview, but I think it may have been lost in an old computer transition at some point. But it was right about uh, after she published her first book, Life After College. I remember getting a pitch for it from her publisher and being so blown away by the idea. Like, I needed that book when I graduated college. So I reached out. We did an interview for it, had a great conversation. I kind of felt like we made a connection. So we connected again a year or two later when Jenny launched her coaching course called Make Shit Happen. Now, fast forward a few years and we caught up again when Jenny published her second book called Pivot, which basically gives advice and motivation to help someone take that next step in their career or how to move on to the next gig. And with the Pivot book came a podcast. And I'll be honest with you here. I hadn't really heard much from Jenny in the last couple of years. She's not super active on social media, which she does talk about extensively on her podcast. And I guess it was a little out of sight, out of mind for me. Jenny stayed very busy on her own. I just didn't happen to be in that same circle. But something a couple months ago made me think of her. So I looked her up only to find out that she had a new book on the way. And that pretty much brings us up to speed to where we are. At the start of this episode, I said that Jenny Blake is an ideapreneur. So what is that? It's a term coined by her that encompasses all that she does. So Jenny's an author, speaker, and a podcaster. She works closely with small business owners and offers a lot of inspiration all across the board. Now, one of the things I've always loved about Jenny is her positive disposition. I know life isn't always a bunch of roses, but she's just got a way of staying on the positive side, which I do really appreciate. And her way with metaphors is fascinating. I wish my brain worked that way. Unfortunately, it doesn't. So on today's episode, I'm catching up with my old friend Jenny Blake about her new book, Free Time, Lose the Business. You work, love your business. We'll talk about the book and the conversation, but to summarize here quickly, it offers a lot of advice for how to make small changes in your business that will free you up to enjoy more of it and just life in general. Also, let me put this out there right now, too, in case you're thinking, but I don't own a small business. Neither do I. I work for a major corporation, and I can tell you that I found a lot of advice in this book to be super helpful, and it's advice that I can work into my daily life as well to help sort of work smarter and not harder. So stick with this conversation because I think you'll find a lot of great stuff here. Now, here's my chat with Jenny Blake. Hey, Jeff. Hi. Oh, hey. Long time, no talk. It has been a while, hasn't it? I was oh, just thinking my- too, I don't know if we've ever done a face-to-face thing before. I don't think so. Now it's now it's just the default, huh? Yeah, I know. And, and, and I tell authors this all the time because I do most of my interviews via authors, thankfully to uh, radio tours. But it's so much nicer to see who I'm talking to as opposed to just blindly talking into a phone. I love it. Yeah. Yeah. I feel mixed when I record my podcast. I actually like recording with um, video off because my eyes get so tired. Oh, okay. So I like, I like seeing people at the start and the end. And then I, I, I don't know, I personally find it more relaxing, but I know why some hosts like to 
see and like then you get the dynamics and the body language and that's it it's the body language because you, know, you yeah. think you think you've got this really clever thing that you're going to say or whatever and you're watching them and you just right. see stone face and you're like that's okay true. not working okay <laughs> moving on yeah, abort yeah, abort <laughs> right right you've been at this for so long like from the radio days to did you is it now also a podcast feed your show uh, so the show, yeah, I mean, the show that I'm on does have a podcast, but it's just the pieces of the show cut up into okay. a podcast. So it's like a re-listen okay. kind of thing. Uh, yeah. I started doing this um, a couple of years ago just because I really needed that outlet. Like I needed something else. So but I, cool. I do I do have you to thank for a lot of it because when I first met you back in the days of life after college, I yeah. was just doing the radio thing, just on the air. And every once in a while, I'd have opportunities to do interviews. But when I reached out about that and spoke to you, I was like, wow, this is this is fun. I can actually contact these folks and talk to people I'm interested in and people that yeah. I want to learn more about. And that started me down yes. this whole like hill. And it's great. That's so awesome. I know. I agree. It's like, it's so rewarding to just connect with yeah. Following your energy, connecting with people you're interested in. And it's the best excuse. We get to talk, hit record other people benefit. I love it. I, I like, I just love podcasting more and more and more. And I'm really trying to figure out how to grow my two shows because I want to keep doing it and like give it my full focus. Are you still doing two? Uh, yes, still doing two. Okay. I thought for some reason you had just switched over to only the, like each one was part of the brand, right? Like there was the pivot podcast during your pivot years yes. and there was the free time podcast during your free time, which we're going to talk more about now. I didn't realize oh, cool. that pivot continued. I thought it was. Yeah, yeah, I have it. I have it on a now releasing twice a month schedule. So just like keep, cause not every author who has a book launching, it's it's not always going to be appropriate for just business owners. So I've figured I'll keep pivot, keep it rolling. And that one has all the history behind it. And then free time releases twice a week. I'm happy because I don't know if people are still reading pivot and if they read the book and sure. want to still follow that thread of content, whereas free time is, I feel like more niche. I do like that you, that you realized that and you separated it because I think oh, yeah. for so many people, it'd be really easy just to say, this is my podcast and this is what we're yeah. going moving forward. So I like that you understand that there are people that will come to you for different reasons. Totally. And then it gives me permission. Like part of the reason I'm doing it is just permission to just fully geek out on free time. Was I was always having to caveat things on the pivot podcast. Like, oh, and if you work for yourself and if you work for someone else and so yeah, it's fun that it just allows me to fully go and talk about whatever I want. <laughs> well, Jenny, I, I was listening to another interview of yours before, and I heard you talk about imposter syndrome because you felt like um, you're not pulling in the eight-figure salary, the millions upon millions of dollars. So what do you know about owning your own business, yada, yada? I just want to say 99% of people that own their own businesses are not pulling in eight-figure salaries. So I, I hope that you're able to get through that imposter syndrome fine because you are right there in line with so many other people that own their small business. Oh, well, I really appreciate that, Jeff. Thank you. And that's true. You're right. Probably statistically speaking, I don't even know. Even I think making seven figures or more is a very small percentage in the single digits. Sure. But you know what? I heard it. Someone else said it on a podcast the other day, just to me, one of my guests for my show said, I'm not earning the most money, but I'm the happiest entrepreneurial me, you know, yes. and they were like, my metric is time and joy. And I feel that I, they're like, I am rich in those things and that's what I want to be rich in. And so it's the money is irrelevant mm -hmm. because the way they expressed it was like, Michael, it's time and energy. And I'm so down with that too. So that kind of helped me with my <laughs> business author imposter syndrome as well. 
there's still a big conversation around money and making as much money as you possibly can, yada, yada. But I do feel like in the last few years, the conversation has shifted to happiness. And I think we can also see that just from the way, you know, the, the great resignation, as they call it, people are leaving jobs they're not happy to go to positions where they are. Some are making more money, some are not. But it seems like happiness is becoming a much larger driver. I also feel that after all that we've been through the last two years, plus a lot of us are just in this period of reckoning and reimagining and recalibrating of, well, life is really short and the world sometimes does seem like it's falling apart. So what do I really want to focus on? And yes, money is important, but it's not everything. And certainly not at the expense of our health and wellness. And I love what you're saying where yes, happiness and mental health is now moving more and more to the forefront of conversation. I also think by necessity, because we've all been through so much stress, pressure, uncertainty, unease, feelings of chaos these last few years. I don't know about you, but I don't have the energy to keep working in a way that would just lead to burnout. No, no, I agree with you. And I think that a lot of people, like you're saying, a lot of people will tie happiness into free time, which is where I think your book comes in. And I know this book, Free Time, Lose the Busy Work, Love Your Business, is largely written for people that own their own business or, or small business owners. But I do think there's a lot that people can take out of for their everyday place as well. If you're a manager in another office, like I think there's a lot of inspiration that can come from this for every aspect. I don't think it has to be just for business owners. Yeah, I appreciate you saying that because although I, I did want to pick someone who I was writing to and I picked that small business owner, solo pluspreneur, as I call them, who is on the verge of burn it all down mode. But we've all been there in life and work. And sometimes you might be a manager at a company and still want to burn it all down and go pivot into farming or something that's like completely opposite what you're doing now. So yes, I, I love that you picked up on that because although it is written to business owners, there's so much in there that can help the rest of us. It's a little trickier if you don't have time autonomy and you're, you just literally, you have a boss who cares about button seat time. That's a little harder to negotiate, but not impossible. And there's still so much you can do even on the home front to make your life easier. It, it comes back to that sort of rhetorical question is how much is your time worth? You know, I, I forget uh, the name of the author right now, but I was speaking with someone a while back and they were talking about, think about the time you waste in your day looking for the cheapest gas. You know, just the mm. idea of driving around trying to find that you're wasting your own time, which is essentially costing you that capital of time or or, you know, if you have the money, could you pay for someone to clean your house? And that time could be yours in your day. You don't have to worry about cleaning now. And it's just this whole idea of like, how much is your time really worth? Yeah. And also software and automation. I mean, when you and I met a decade ago, there's so iPhones were just coming out right. practically. And now we can run our entire business from our phone or our entire lives for anyone who isn't self-employed. And so I'm also continually marveling at new software services that come out that enable us to automate so much of our lives. And if we just put a little creativity and a little extra work in up front, it's incredible how you can set things up where you don't even have to think about it again. So it's not even just the time savings that day or in the moment, it's that systems and software can be intelligently deployed to free you up so far into the future. And that's where I really get excited. 
And a lot of these systems and software probably cost money to use, but in the end, spending that little bit of capital on those systems will make your life so much easier. And it's almost like it's totally worth that investment to make that happen. Yeah. And and the example I've been giving a lot just because it's so top of mind is even Amazon offers subscription for household products like paper towels. So instead of having to notice when you're running low and put them in your cart the next time you're at grocery store, just look at the cadence, the gap in between when you last ordered and now set it on subscription. And that's, that's one that doesn't cost you any extra money. It's just available now. And it wasn't five years ago that you can put household products on subscription. So could you do it with laundry detergent, dishwasher pods, you know, whatever those little things that you use and that's it. It's off your mind. And that doesn't even cost a whole lot of extra money. If somebody were to look up the definition of hustle a couple of years ago, I'm pretty sure your picture would have been in the dictionary because uh, there was a time where Jenny Blake was the definition of hustle out there. I mean, I think, I think I saw you had like 12 streams of revenue at one well, point in your life. And- yeah. But I don't know, because as soon as I was leaving Google, I, I was talking about not being for hustle culture. I, I, I hate, and I always have hated the phrase, Oh, sleep when I'm dead. So I, for a long time, I mean, right from when I left Google, I was really passionate about helping people move beyond burnout. And that was like very anti-hustle culture. I guess it depends how you define hustle. Um, because like I haven't worked Mondays or Fridays in 11 years uh, for the most part with rare exception. Yeah. So I don't know. I was always somebody that was like leaving my desk at three to go to yoga. I guess the definition of hustle then is where, where I get that. I don't say where I get that wrong, but maybe I worded it incorrectly for you because I know that you've been very active in trying to make sure that you're out there. But I also think like you were saying, you're, you're not, you're not for the hustle, hustle culture. And I think that's shift. That's also shifted for a lot of people. I think hustle culture, this side hustle that we used to hear about all the time that seems to be starting to slow down. Like, it seems like, again, people are starting to recognize like that was crazy that we were spending (laughs) 24 hours of our day working and being active. Yeah, I see what you mean. And it is so interesting to unpack these terms with you because I had side hustles since I was a kid. I was always earning money in different and creative ways. And even when I had a good job at Google, I, I still had side hustles. I had that blog that was forming, which is how you and I first connected. Started that in 2005. I was tutoring HTML I was doing um, HTML and CSS tutoring for small business owners on the side. So yeah, I guess it depends. It's like, are we hustling in a good way? Is it like a, well, I call it a clean burning fire or a dirty fire. And it almost made it into free time, but the metaphor like didn't quite pan out when I would research what it actually meant. But I think about passion and a clean burning fire is when, let's say you're clearing forest clearing the forest and it's a controlled, clean burning fire. It's not wreaking havoc. And then the, so I guess that's one type of kind of hustle or working toward the things you're really passionate about to the point where it doesn't even feel like work. And then on the other side of hustle culture is this burn, burn, burnout, like burn it all down. The, what I call a dirty fire where it's like black and smoky and out of control and literally raising things to the ground that kind of fire is very destructive and it's not just destructive to the entrepreneur, but to everybody around them. Mm -hmm. Well, let's dive into a little bit about the idea behind your book. I know we've been talking a little bit about free time and about taking back control of your time so far, but I want to hear from your perspective, where did the book free time lose the busy work, love your business come from? 
Yeah. I had been teaching a lot of these principles. I've had a private community for solopreneurs for seven years now, almost. And I'd been teaching a lot of it behind the scenes, but as you so aptly mentioned right at the start of the call, I, it was kind of my safe space because it was behind the scenes. I wasn't out front talking about business. And then, um, it was when I had turnover on my team, someone who had been with me for five years was leaving. And I, as I was bringing on a new person, I was thinking, I got to let them know how I work, you know, how to think about things, how to approach problems. And so I started capturing operating principles in a Google doc. I thought it would just be this one pager, a little bulleted list. Mm -hmm. And I couldn't stop. I, as I was walking, commuting, showering, all kinds of places through New York city, I would be adding to this Google doc and it pretty quickly grew to nine pages. So these operating principles, it then became a one hour workshop, then a 15 lesson mini course. And ultimately the book, I realized that there was so much about how I work that actually is different than a lot of business that's out there or how we think about, we need to run our business. And I also wanted to save business owners, the trouble of onboarding and getting things organized. This is something I really love the operational efficiency side of things. And so I figure if I write free time, the manual that I would love to have as a business owner and everybody who interacts with me, maybe I can save all these other people time as well, that through this book, we all set our time free. And that's the real mission behind it is 50 million hours free. So every time somebody reads it and writes to me saying, thanks to you, I shorten all my meetings by 50% or I no longer have meetings on Fridays or whatever it is. I hired a personal assistant to help me with errands in my hometown. All that kind of stuff just makes me so delighted because it takes us all out of the weeds and the minutia of life and allows us to put our mind back on our best work or truly enjoying the time that we do have off with friends and family. Yeah. One thing you say too, is, you know, there's this idea of working part-time and full-time. And if you're working part-time, you can, you can sort of hone in on what you're doing. Like if you do five hours of solid work, say, I don't know, three, four days a week, four or five days a week, whatever it is to really just get that work in there. It's different and often much more effective than doing like the normal 40 hour work week. Because if you're a full-time employee, you find yourself just trying to fill time or you find someone trying to fill your time just for the sake of doing it versus just saying, here's your job. Here's your task. Let's knock this out. Let's really focus and get it done. Yeah, hundred percent. And that research actually shows we're five times more productive when we're in a flow state than when we're not. So if you cut out all the distractions and as I share in the book, as you just mentioned, I work maybe 10 AM or 11 AM to two or 3 PM, very focused. I'm not procrastinating during that time. I'm not dilly dallying. I'm not trying to just put in the time. And I also am very intentional about reducing how many meetings I have in a given day or week. And even my email inbox, I don't feel the need to respond to email every day, which to some people is blasphemy. <laughs> but in my mind, if I have a one week turnaround on 99% of my email, I'm doing just fine. I'm doing better than I have most years of my life. And so what that means is that I'm not constantly refreshing my inbox or feeling, even if I see what's coming in, I don't, I don't jump to reply. Therefore I can get into deeper work and get more done. I'm one of those people that I operate best. If I know that I have a task that has an end game and I have, I can get that done in my own time. 
You know, so for me, especially during the pandemic and watching my daughter during the day, if I know I have work to get done, okay, well, I can take that break in the middle of the day to play with her and keep her occupied. I can get some done in the morning. I can get some done at night. And I'm perfectly satisfied and happy that way. That's my schedule. I hear from a lot of new parents that you learn a whole whole new level of prioritization and saying no. I'm curious what your experience has been now that you're almost two years into fatherhood. Did it sharpen your discernment of what you say yes and no to? Oh yeah, 100%. I say no to everything now. <laughs> That's what people say. That's what people say. It's like the best tool. No more guilt anymore. You just say no to most of everything. Well, not only do you have, I hate to call her this, but not only do you have an excuse because people will be like, oh yeah, we get it. You've got the baby. But also I just realized how much I like spending time with her and how much I like being a parent and the things that are going to take me away from that have to be something that either a, I really feel required to do. Like I feel it's necessary or B it's really got to be something I love a lot more, you know, and that's, there's very few things that I love more than my little, you know, toddler right now. So it's, it's definitely, it changes your perspective. 100%. That's what my brother, when he first became a dad, he would say to me that his inner debate would be like, should I spend this time developing my daughter's brain or do I go work on X, Y, Z? And it's like, when he put it that way, you know, that he could be nourishing her development and, and spending that quality time. So whatever the other thing would have to really compete at such a high level that it's really clarifying. And yeah, I know what you mean. Of course, you don't want to call it an excuse, but it's I felt like that when I was writing free time, I was in hermit mode, but the only difference was I gave myself permission to be a hermit and say no to everything. And in fact, also living outside of the city for five months was really helpful too, because I just wasn't around. Whereas when I am in town, I kind of like, oh yeah, okay, that sounds good. That sounds fun. And probably say yes to too many things, but I don't know if I really went with my natural hermit-like inclinations, I would have no friends at all. (laughs) That's why I have a podcast. It's the best way to make friends. As you know, that's why we're here. (laughs) That's exactly why we're here. Yeah. Um, I, I do think that's one of the things that can carry over very strongly into the normal, you know, quote unquote, normal office setting. And it's this idea of the eight hour workday, you know, like you were saying, science has proven so much that if you can really you know, focus in a certain amount of time to get the, we're talking about the four day work week. So many places have changed over to the four day work week because they realize like trying to force people to sit here for, you know, every day making this happen just to fill this time is ridiculous. Uh, but I think that's one thing that bosses could see in this book or managers could see in this book and say, all right, if my employees are getting the work done, I hired them for this purpose. I hired them to get the job done. I need to trust that they are doing that. Yeah. Absolutely. And, and figure out that sometimes people hesitate. I talk in the book about golden hour, which is two times a day. The light is the most exquisite. So cinematographers and photographers love to shoot at that time. It's like think about the movie, Lord of the Rings. Everybody's just glowing the whole time. And so we too have golden hours with our circadian rhythms. And sometimes people will ask me, well, how am I going to tell everybody else I work with? not to interfere, but it's actually in you and your manager's best interest that whatever is most strategic for you to accomplish that week, you say, this is the block of time. I'm going to tackle it every day when I'm at my creative strategic best. Is that okay with you? And I can't imagine anybody saying no to that. And then slotting meetings and email catch up later in the day. There's for, for 
95% of us, nothing is truly urgent. Like I'm guessing most of your listeners are not brain surgeons, you know? Hey, what, what are you like saying? What are you algorithmic? saying? <laughs> Actually, you probably have a lot of, well, of course you have a really smart people, but like how many how many people are brain surgeons? Right. I don't know how many people are surgeons. I have a lot of actually, interestingly, a lot of medical practitioners in my audience and uh, I love them all so much. I'm just saying their work is more urgent than a lot of us doing knowledge type work. I do want to talk about high net worth versus high net freedom. That is something that I saw pop up and I want to hear more about that from you. Yeah. Well, I wrote my second book pivot for people I consider high net growth. So they're not just asking, what am I earning, but what am I learning? How am I growing? And that they will make a lateral move internally with a company or bootstrap a business to know that they're continually learning and growing. Now, free time pivot is about mapping what's next. Free time is about optimizing what's now. So with free time, they're not just even asking, what am I earning? How, what am I learning? But how much freedom do I have? That time autonomy, time freedom about who you're working on, what you're working on, when, with whom, all of that is high net freedom. So if you're high net freedom, you will design your life and even your career to optimize for optionality and choice and spaciousness. And so that's something as we started off this conversation saying, it's for those of us who are high net freedom, we don't just want to know how profitable was your business, but how many hours did it take you to get there? And that it's harder to work less. It seems like the hard work, the hustle is in working around the clock, but actually it's much harder to figure out how to save time through automation and delegation and elimination of what's not important. Delegation is where my head was at before. And uh, that's something that you do very well now, but it, I'm sure it took some growth to get there. And I think anybody that owns their own business, delegating is hard because you have so much invested into this thing. So even though you have a team with you that you trust and that you brought on, you you hired them, you brought them to be a part of the process, it is still hard to step back sometimes and say, oh, go ahead. <laughs> but it seems like something that you have adapted to fairly well now. Oh, it's taken me so long. I think this is also part of the reason that the, the book is structured around the three-stage framework to free your time. So align, design, assign. The reason assign is its own third pillar of this framework is because it's so freaking hard. <laughs> and myself, along with so many others, we're always saying, oh, I can just do it myself. Oh, it's just faster. And you know what? Sometimes it is. Right now I've pared down to an even delightfully tinier team than I had a couple months ago. And I'm happy. I'm, I'm happy. I, I love having as tiny a team as possible. Where I got to with delegation is that once you get over some of the learning curves and certainly going from zero to one is a big step where you're first trusting the first VA that you've hired or project manager. But now I just know there's certain work. I think the easiest stuff to delegate is work you don't even like at all. That's the easy stuff. It's hard to delegate stuff that you love. And I don't always think you should, but the stuff you don't even like, that's easy. Cause you, you can't wait for somebody to come help take it off your plate. As long as you design the system so that you know what success looks like, and you'll feel happy once they work on it, you want to leave some wiggle room for them. But that, that's the kind of stuff I think is, is the easiest place to start. Just what do you dread and procrastinate on? Get help for that. Absolutely. And I, and I think too, it builds a confidence in your employees, if you want to call them that, or in your team, when they know that you trust them. So like, if they're always worried that you're going to be looking over their shoulders, checking everything they do, all the minutia, if you will, then there's going to be 
sort of a weirdness there too. But if they know that you're like, hey, I trust you, let's make this happen. And once in a while, of course, it's your product. You're going to want to check in. But if they know that they have your trust in that, I imagine that just makes the team feel better. Yeah, trust and clarity and then documenting as you go. So I always say too, if things fall through the cracks, it's usually no one's fault. It's just the system needs tweaking, you know? So I always tell people, you know, don't take anything personally and even tell me what you don't enjoy doing because we'll figure it out. We'll figure out who else we could give it to or how to stop doing that altogether. Cause I never want even anyone on my team to be working on stuff that they dread. I just don't think that's how anybody gets their best work done. One of the phrases that I that I saw in the book and, I, and I've heard you talk about multiple times too is, and I love your way with words, I think, of, oh, of anything. There is something special with the way your mind works, like sailing the sea of shiny shoulds. <laughs> I want to talk more about that. Also, I want to commend you yeah. because that is an amazing phrase to put together. Thank you. Oh my gosh. One of the reviewers said something like, Blake has a depth use of alliteration, you know, like, (laughs) I don't know, these things come to me. I also, part of my goal with the book is to democratize systems thinking. A lot of systems books are really boring and they're dry. They're just hard to get through. So I'm also trying to think about how do I help myself and everybody else think about systems in a way that's joyful and a little more fun. Sailing the sea of shiny shoulds. I mean, that came to me because, oh, there's so many shiny shoulds in life and business. And specifically my biggest shiniest should, it was social media for a long time where I felt like I should be on here, especially as an independent author, podcaster, person, creator. And yet I, I hated it. Every time I would sign off, I felt worse. And I was always feeling burdened by having so many inboxes. And I never wanted to be the jerk that would post, but not even look at what anyone replied to me. I had a really conflictive relationship with it, but it was such a should. And I also had a big should around don't bite the hand that fed you, that got you here because I was really active on Twitter and social media in the early days, but it just stopped sparking joy. And so I don't believe that any of us should do things that drain us, that drain our life force, that drain our energy. What's the point? Life's too short for that. I don't care if I, maybe I would have a bigger platform, but maybe not. Maybe my attention would be so fractured that I didn't write this new book. So I think it's important to look at where the shiny shoulds and they're shiny when they're compelling. We know the shoulds that are easy to say no to, but it's the shiny ones. (laughs) Those are the hard ones to turn away. Uh, something I was thinking about too, because uh, one thing I've heard you talk about is how you don't, um, I don't want to butcher this phrasing, but if you're going to post something, you want to post it on your thing. Like if you're going to post it, you're going to post it on your oh, website. Yeah. You're not going to post it on somebody else's website and promote that. for the, So I was thinking about that because I think a lot of people, a lot of businesses that use social media, they use it because it's essentially a free website for them to say, go to my Instagram. That's essentially saying, go to my free website that I've built. But there is an element of you're not really promoting yourself. You're still promoting somebody else's product in a way. Yeah. Like I guess those companies are trying to go where their customers are, which makes a ton of sense. But yeah, the way I describe it is you're building on somebody else's land. Yeah. And they could kick you off at any time. So for example, if I, I've, I have a private community called BFF and can you imagine if every time I promoted it, I said, go to facebook.com slash BFF. I'm just advertising for Facebook for the last seven years. And not only that, 
then what Facebook's going to roll out new features and hide my posts altogether. No one will even see what I do until I pay. So they're basically holding me hostage and giving me a ransom in order to reach those same people. It's ridiculous. So I think the way to sustainability, and it just makes more sense to me that, um, yeah, build on my own, like own, not rent (laughs) and build my own email newsletter, send people to my own websites. And as a friend recently shared with me, like, you know, he creates vanity URLs for everything. So even if I want to point people to Amazon for the book, I could just say it's freetime.com slash Amazon. You can still create vanity URLs that are going to point out, but at least they have your domain in the middle of it. We were talking about this earlier in the conversation. And I know I only have you for a few, a few more minutes here, but uh, we were talking about how ultimately the goal seems to be here to take back some happiness and to enjoy life and to relieve along with that will relieve stress. And you say that stress is a systems problem. So, so much of where stress comes from in the working world is kind of tied into the way things are being done. Yeah. Or at least we can look at where in your life are you experiencing the most friction and stress and certain stressors are systemic and pandemic, (laughs) but then endemic, but there are other ones where, okay, if you're fighting with your spouse all the time about cleaning the house, like there's a solution for that. Like you said, there are solutions. And so instead of, for me, you know, some people say, oh, throw money at the problem. Not everyone is able to do that. Sometimes if I do want to throw money at a problem, I'm also going to ask myself, how can I earn the money to throw at this problem? How can I creatively generate the income that I would need or the extra income that I would need in order to solve this if it's a financial related solution? And as far as happiness, I mean, we can't really control that. I think more about equanimity and at least through some of these systems that I'm describing and ways of operating with more kindness toward ourselves and a more balanced way of working, I feel like we can eliminate a lot of the sort of stress of what I call the burdensome bees, getting bored, bottlenecked, burnt out, or buried by bureaucracy. And if we can take care of that stuff, then at least we're more calm and readied when actual life events happen and and life is always throwing obstacles in our path. So we can't always control for happiness, but I feel like we can create a calmer ecosystem that we're operating from. Um, I have to tell you a story. Uh, I would love a Jeff story. It's somewhat related to this, uh, but one of my biggest pet peeves and one of the things that I hate the most about my job is that my calendar is public and that people can put things on my calendar. When I see that someone has put something on my calendar without confirming that I'm available, it's like, it's a trigger for me. And I'm like, are you kidding? You can't even ask me if that's okay. So I purposefully do not put anything in my calendar anymore, just so I have the right to deny (laughs) things that come up. And it's like my own weird way to take back control because I do work for a corporation. I work, you know, I don't own my own business, but it is like such a tiny little thing. But it was funny because when I was trying to book this conversation with you, the person that I was going back and forth with, forgive me, I cannot remember her name right now. She was like, send me your account, send me a calendar that we can find. I'm like, yeah, so I don't have one of those. (laughs) Well, can you block, can you put even that you work within a company? Can you put your own private do not schedule blocks so that those wouldn't appear to be available to somebody looking at when to book you. 
I can. And it's one of those things where it's like, I have to actually sit down and go through and do that. Um, so I can do that. And there are days and times where I know things are going to be crazy. And I just say, I cannot do anything else on this day. So the whole day is done. I'm blocking it out. Forget it. It's over. I'm not doing anything. So I do take the time once in a while to do that. But there is a piece of me that just feels like this is my element of control. So I'm going yeah. go to say no to your email, your invite to a, to another meeting that I probably don't need to be a part of. For anyway. sure. Yeah. See, I wonder if you could get away with, unless someone would look and see, why does Jeff have all these blocks, but just a recurring do not schedule block, whether it's a certain time of day, but it's recurring. You should only think about it once and you could always make exceptions if there's some team meeting that gets added at the last minute, but that by default, people wouldn't see that the entire week was available. Cause that would drive me bananas too. And that's what I used to have when I was in corporate. That's a good idea. Well. And I think I'm going to do that. Uh, my daughter, we're in the middle of moving my daughter from two naps to one. So I'm trying to navigate this new schedule of her daytime thing. So I think when we get that figured out, I may have to just go in there and block out a certain part of every day. That's going to be my time that Absolutely. I can do whatever I need to do. And it's almost like, as you said, people can't grab it. They can't steal it from you without permission. They're going to have to ask. Oh, I see you're not available. Any chance you could do X, Y, Z, but at least that would almost force them to ask you right. instead of just grabbing it. A little more power. Should you and your husband decide to go down the route of having kids at some point, you will totally understand where it's like, especially that you own your own business, you're going to try to fit things in wherever you can, because especially for the first couple of years of life, like it's just crazy. I mean, everything is different. So you're going to fit like, okay, she's going to have an hour nap time here. I'm going to jump in and do something there. So you will, you'll totally understand the idea of like, I only have 45 minutes. This is the time that it's happening. Well, it'd be, I know it'd be so tricky with something like podcasting too, where you're hoping for a quiet background because you just can't control when she's awake, especially if you're working from home. And, uh, I mean, not with kids, but we have with dog barking and sure. someone around I'm always <laughs> my quest for quiet. I just started leaving the house. So I, I record at a podcasting studio in New York oh. and then sometimes I'll drop into WeWork. It's only $29 a day for a drop-in. And so even if I worked at a company, I think I would ask for permission to go into WeWork once a week and just get out of the house, not have the distraction or the, even my own curiosity of like, who's outside the door? Who can I go say hi to? What can I go eat in the middle of the day? <laughs> well, your book has really got me thinking too, because I, we have a great nanny and we try to save money wherever we can as new parents. Um, so she works for about three to four hours a day for us just to get us through that time. Cause I work morning drive. So I get into work at 4am, but I'm home at like wow. 10 30, 11 o'clock where my wife leaves for work at about 7.30. So we have that sort of like three-hour window where we need someone to watch our child. And this nanny is awesome. She's a local college student, but she is only available for a certain time too because she's got classes and she has things to do. I've been thinking about potentially looking for someone else to help because as much as I love to save the money and to spend as much time with my daughter as possible, there are days where I'm pulling my hair out. And looking through free time and understanding more about uh, what you've been writing. I've been thinking like that's a little bit of an investment, but mm. it, it may help with the just calming force that I need to yes. have that person that can help me in those moments, you know? Yeah. Especially if you've got that whisper, it probably means you're onto something. And like you said, then it allows you to stay recharged so that when you are with your daughter, you're at your best rather than at your like kind of yes. frustrated wits end forest, which is, I get the same way. If I don't, if I don't solve things on the home front, I'm really no good to anybody. 
not myself, not my husband, not my friends, not my dog. I'm like, I'm just, I don't have it. I am cranky. I'm tired. I'm yeah, just grumpy, grumpy, you know? <laughs> and so for me, I'm same as you, like sometimes those, even if it wasn't every day, but you had extra help on two of the days of the week that you could plan for that and start small in that way and then have that extra boost of energy. You're like, yes, this is why I'm doing this. And then, okay, now I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to just figure out how to make it work. Well, one more thing about the book that I think it can appeal to everybody, not just business owners. I think I, I'm reading it from a perspective of a non-business owner. There's so yeah, I love. many nuggets that I pulled out of it. Like I, I think it's such a, a great thing and it's got my mind spinning. So Jenny, I, I love it. It's called Free Time, Lose the Busy Work, Love Your Business. I would recommend this to anyone that's just looking to kind of take back control of their life in any way. There's so much you can pull from it. So thank you so much for your time. Uh, throw out your information really quick. I know, I know social media is not your favorite thing to use, but where can people go? They want to find out more about you in the book. That's the good news. There's even fewer places you got to look me up. <laughs> you can search for free time with Jenny Blake, wherever you're listening to this. If you're on a podcast app, you can also visit itsfreetime.com slash toolkit, and you'll get a ton of tools and templates for some of the things that we've talked about, including say a delegation task tracker, where you just observe in your own life for the next two weeks, what could you delegate, even if you don't know to whom yet. Thank you so much for all of your time. This has been great. I appreciate you so much. And hopefully I didn't suck up too much of your day. Here with oh this. my goodness. <laughs> well, I just have to say thank you, Jeff. So listeners, you may not know that Jeff was one of the very first people in the radio world to reach out to me about my first book, Life After College. And it was launching in 2011. And you had a great radio voice then. You still have one now. I'm just honored to still be in touch after all this time. And look at you just ahead of the skill and trend wave of having your radio show so long before the whole podcast Cambrian explosion <laughs> that's happened the last few years. So I've been, it's truly been a joy and a delight to follow your career too, Jeff. And just thank you for everything. Well, I needed that ego boost. So thank you for that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And big thanks to everybody who's here listening. Big thank you to Jenny Blake. I know she's busy. I know she loves her free time. Uh, see what I did there? So I appreciate her time. Jenny's book, Free Time, Lose the Busy Work, Love Your Business is available now wherever you get your books. You can find more details at itsfreetime.com and you can check out her podcast as well. And thank you to all of you for listening. I so appreciate you. Until next time, be well.